why don't you grab your Bibles, and we're going to do a deep cut this morning. We're going back a few pages to 2 Kings chapter 5. Grab your Bibles and go dust off 2 Kings 5. We're going we're gonna to bust that out this morning. <clears throat> and while you're doing that, why don't you stand up? We're going we're gonna to stand for the reading of the Word. Um, and as you're turning there and finding, finding 2 Kings 5, and before I start reading, I, just, I, I said it at the first service, and so I don't want you to feel like I'm lying to y'all. This, is just, this has been a week of, je- my, this has just been a very emotional week for my wife and I. There's a lot going on. We're, we're okay. Our health is fine and, and whatnot. We're okay, but um, there's been a lot, of our, a lot on our minds. And then I, I, I found out this morning, five minutes before the first service, that uh, fr- some just unfortunate news about a friend of mine, a guy that I baptized last, last summer. And it's just one of those days where I would rather curl up under the pew than preach in front of it. And so I just don't want to be here. I'm going to be honest with you. My heart is hurting. Um, and so that I'm actually glad to be with you this morning and getting into the Word of God and, and, and worshiping our Lord together because I, I need that today and I feel that I need it more than usual. So it's really good to see your all's faces and, and I'm excited to get into this with you. So 2 Kings 5. Uh, we're going to take off a bit more of a chunk than usual. Um, so don't lock your knees together. We're going to read 15 verses. Hold tight. Follow along with me. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him Yahweh had given him salvation. And the man was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And now the Arameans had gone out in marauding bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were before the prophet who is in Samaria, that he would cure him of his leprosy. And so Naaman went and he told this to his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. And the king of Aram said, Go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he went and took in his hand ten talents of silver and sixty thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, So now this is, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And it happened that when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God that I may put to death or make alive, that this man is sending to me a man that I may cure him of his leprosy? But now see and know that he is seeking to quarrel against me. And it happened that when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, sent word to him, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, restored to you, and you will be clean." But Naaman was furious and he went away and said, I thought that he would come to me and surely say, surely say before his name, before Yahweh his God and wave his hand over the place of leprosy and that he would cure me. Are not Avana and Pafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers in Israel? Could Could I not have washed in them and had been clean? And so he turned and went away in wrath. And then his servants approached and spoke to him and said, my father, the prophet had spoken with you to do some great thing. Would you not have done it? How much more then that he says to you simply to wash and be clean? And so he went and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy 
and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God with all of his camp, and he came and he stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no other God in all the earth but in Israel. So now please take a blessing from your servant. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you that there is no, there is no length, there is no depth, there is no, there is no breadth that we can move in towards you that we'll ever reach the bottom of or the end of, Lord, that you are infinite. And in your, infin, in, in your infinite nature and in your wisdom and in your love, you pursue us. Help us to realize that. Help us to be moved by your love for us. Help us to be moved by how much you care for us. And thank you for this story that shows just how wise and loving you are to two people who seem so polar opposite. And that means that your love is for us as well. And it's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So, um, Josh is, is away, and, and we know that the, the Sermon on the Mount series is done, and so he told me that I could, I could preach on whatever I, I wanted, and so that's why we're doing this random, uh, this random study in, in the book of Second Kings. This story has been on my mind for, for a long time. This might be one of my, I think it is my favorite story in the Old Testament, um, because it screams Jesus everywhere, all over this story. It screams the love of our Lord uh, how he moves and how, he, how he's wise and how he's loving and how he draws people to himself and how he makes peace on earth. And it's a, it's a peace that is a shadow of the peace that we will have in eternity with him, but it is evidence and it, it is proof that we can have some semblance of peace here and now with each other, that he brings people together who just otherwise seem like they would hate each other. This, this story juxtaposes two people who I don't think could be any more opposite than they are. I don't think that you, could, that you could make up two people more opposed to one another than, than Naaman and this little girl who's working in his house. And I, I was struck by just how, this, how the Spirit of God, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling great today. I haven't been feeling great all week. Uh, maybe some of you are, are, are feeling the same way. And I was just struck this morning how the Spirit of God is still moving and how we have every reason to hope and we have every reason to endure. We have every reason to trust the Lord, not only with the things that we're feeling, but with the, the things that are causing us to feel that way that we can't control. When I, I showed up this morning, I, I have been texting back and forth with Evan throughout the week, but I didn't, you know, we didn't really get into what I was preaching on and he didn't tell me what songs he was picking. But it, during the first service at the opening worship, uh, the song that we just sang a few minutes ago, the lyrics are, you can have all this world, give me Jesus. And I smiled when I heard that because that's what this story is about. It's about someone who has all of the world and someone who doesn't have anything and how Jesus is for everyone all the same. And we begin with this, this guy Naaman who is introduced to us in verse 1 as someone who has every reason to believe in the lie of self-sufficiency. Look at how he's described. He's the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He's highly respected, and he's a mighty man of valor. It's a self-sufficient person. If it needs to be done, he can do it. If it needs to be achieved, he can achieve it. If it needs to be sought and found and brought back, Naaman is your guy. He's big and strong. He's a soldier. He's highly respected among his peers and colleagues. He's, 
he's shoulder to shoulder with the king. He's got influence and he has power and he has money and he has success. He has all of the stuff. You can have all the world, but give me Jesus. And we begin with Naaman, someone who seems to have all of the world, not only in, in just like personal possession, but also just in prowess. He's successful. He's put his hands to work and he has been, and it has, and it has brought forth an abundance. He's gone up the ladder. He, is, he has gone up to almost the very top of the hierarchy, but he was a leper. <laughs> I love that. Big and bad as you are, strong and as accomplished as you may be, we, we forget that we're fragile. I think it's easy for us in the West to put our hope in all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. You know, we're, we have it pretty well here for the most part. If you, if you know where your next meal is coming from, and if you can turn a knob and have clean water flowing out of a faucet, then you're ahead of the game in a, in a, in a big way. And our opulence can, can trick us, and we think that we're doing okay. And Naaman had every reason to think he was doing okay. He was doing okay in many regards, but then he got leprosy, and all of a sudden he realizes what he knew but wasn't thinking about, and maybe this has happened to you, this has happened to me, you realize all of a sudden you're fragile and you're dying. As impressive as as we might be, as sure in our ability and in our intellect and in our power and in in our influence, we're fragile and we are dying. And it, and it must have come as an, as an incredible shock to Naaman because look at what he, look at what he does. I mean, I'm at, I'm at, like remember where he is. Remember who he is. Mighty man of valor. He's surrounded by wisdom. He's surrounded by people that are elite. They're the top, the upper crust of society. He's got every resource available to him. He finds out that he has leprosy. And then there's this, there's this, little, there's this little insert here about this, about this young girl starting in verse 2. Now the Arameans had gone out in, in marauding bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she was serving Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were before the prophet who is in Samaria, that he would cure him of his leprosy. And notice in verse 4, that Naaman went to his master, that is the king, saying, thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. If you're reading this slowly, it's got to strike you as interesting that Naaman took this little girl's advice. He must have been desperate. He must have been hurting. He had been shook up. And it reminds me of the story in Daniel 5, another, another one of my favorites, Belshazzar is, is feasting. He's in the middle of a, of a drunken orgy and the, the hand of the Lord shows up and writes on the wall. You know the story. You have been weighed and found wanting. Your days are numbered. And the first thing Belshazzar does after he collapses on the ground is he, is he calls all the wisdom people, all of the soothsayers, all of the magicians, all of those people who know how to work a Ouija board and look into a crystal ball. He, he starts looking for wisdom. He's looking beyond himself. He's realizing when, when push comes to shove, when some outside force comes upon me, I am insufficient, I'm insignificant, I need help. And Naaman is so shook by this that Maybe there is many people speaking into his life, we're not told, but he takes the word and the advice of a servant girl, a, a, a young girl who very likely, he, she's in his house, he might have killed her parents when, whenever he brought her in, his men might have slaughtered her entire village, no doubt, the entire city where she came from, and now she's in his house, and why on earth would a guy like that listen to a girl like her? It was the right thing to do. Praise God, he was wise to listen to this little girl. 
Jesus said, even if, the, even if you, these are quiet, the rocks will cry out. This, this little girl screams wisdom. But it's interesting that Naaman listens. He's been shook. His armor has been, has been dented. He realizes as powerful and as awesome as he thinks he is, he's dying. And so he takes the word of this, of this child and he goes to the king. And in verse 5, the king says, go and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel And so he went and he took in his hand 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king and said, see now that this, as this letter comes to you, I have sent my servant Nathan, Nathan, I did that last time too, Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. So the king reads the letter and says, am I God that I may bring, that put to death or make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? See and know that he is seeking to quarrel with me. And so Elisha hears of this and asks the king, why have you torn your clothes? Bring the man to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. You see sort of this, this succession of of, of breaking Naaman down. He, he gets leprosy and, and he takes the advice of this young girl and he, and he goes to a foreign land. He leaves home and he starts seeking help and seeking advice from not only outside of himself but actually from a foreign land to a land of his enemies and still is depending somewhat on his power and on his prowess. He, he shows up with money. He shows up with clothing. He shows up with, with an entourage. It's all very impressive. It's the kind of thing that you would stop and stare at as this, as this large group of, of, of people went by with all of their gold and ornament and animals. He brings 700, this, so it's shekels in my translation, but in, in English, that's 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. This man has access to unimaginable wealth. And he's hurt and he's scared and he's seeking. This presses my buttons. Does it press yours? He has every resource. He has everything that you could ever need. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. But he's still depending on his wealth. He's still depending on his influence. He's, he comes with money. And I, and I it's kind of maybe even just a sidebar comment here, but it just as I was reading this over and over, I, I thought, you know, I, Naaman is successful, okay? So he's successful. He's, he's been depending on that success. He's been de- depending on his own prowess. He thinks that it is going to save him. And look at how successful he is. Like he gets away with it for quite a while. And it just struck me that, you know, that... It, you don't need, you know, there's people in this, there's, there's guys in this church, there's men and women that have come to me and we've had these, these conversations about life. Things are going well, things are not going well. I, I, know, I know men who have, who have put their hands to the plow for decades and decades and decades and, it, and you don't need to be naming. You know, I know, I know guys that, that, are, that look me in the white of my eyes and, and something went wrong. Some sort of leprosy showed up. Some sort of reversal happened. There was some sort of mutiny in business or some, some sort of dishonesty or something. And now decades of work are gone. And there's guys that are like, I've got nothing. I've got, I've got nothing. I don't know what happened, but I've got, I've got nothing. And, and, I, and I feel like a failure. And I feel like the, the Lord has turned his back on me. And I feel, like, I feel like I don't know where to turn. And I feel like I don't know what to trust. You don't, you don't need what Naaman has to be successful. You don't need what Naaman has to be considered valid 
or to have any significance. You don't need what Naaman has. And we, and we consider that whenever we consider this little girl. But, but I also feel the burden of saying that if, if you do have what Naaman has, and many of us do, you have to ask yourself, is that all you have? Do you have the wealth? Do you have the influence? Do you have some sort of power? Are you in a position of authority? Friends, do you have more than that? Because Naaman has found himself in a position where all of a sudden, everything that he has can do absolutely nothing for him. And that can be terrifying, or it can be the very means by which the Lord introduces, you can have all the world, give me Jesus. When we get shaken up, we start looking up and looking around and making moves that we otherwise wouldn't have made. And that can be a magnificent and amazing grace of the Lord. As we see it is for Naaman, he shows up still depending on his power, still depending on his money and on his strength. And so he comes with all of the pomp. He comes with all of this, all of this show. And then he comes to the house of Elisha in verse 9. Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. And I love this. (laughs) And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. And Nathan's mad. I did it again. Can Can I just level with you guys real quick? My little girl, she's eight months old, and she's practicing for a ska screamo band. She's auditioning, and she practices between 1 and 3 a.m., and I think she's going to get the part. So I'm, I'm, I'm walking around in circles up here. <laughs> but Naaman comes to the house of Elisha, still flexing, and Elisha doesn't even, give him, doesn't even give him an audience. He's come all this way. It's a long trip. He's brought all of this gold and all of this silver and all of his men, and he's got a letter from the king to back it up. And Elisha doesn't even give him an audience. He sends uh, his helper. He sends his servant. He sends his, we'll learn later in the story, Gehazi to go out there and tell him, uh, there's nothing for you here. Go and wash in the water. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman is furious. He's furious. But his servants approached him and said, verse 13, my father, you know, if the prophet had come to you and said, do some great thing, you you would have done it. I mean, after all, you're a mighty man of valor. How much more? You know, if you just got to just go take a bath, you know, hey, why not give it a shot? And so he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to what the man of God had said. So he shows up with all of this pomp, and the instructions that are given to him, are, are there, it's not random, and it's, it's, it's very intentional. Go and wash seven times. On, on one hand, Elisha's saying, look, your power cannot save you. Your money cannot save you. Friends, this morning, your power cannot save you. Your money, your influence, your pedigree, your resume, it can't, it can't save you. But also, it's not Elisha's power that's saving either. It's the Lord's power that heals. It heals. It's the Lord's power that saves. And so he's instructed, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Naaman, there's nothing you can do. And praise God for that. The work that needs to be done, the work that we might feel like we need to accomplish, we can't, we cannot. Jesus has already done it. Naaman, there's nothing for you to do. You've come here with sharpened swords and spears and javelins and shields and all the rest, and I know that you're this magnificent warrior. There's nothing. You cannot fight your way out of this. You're going to die. You need help. There's nothing that you can do. 
So just go and, and wash yourself. It's an amazing grace. It's an amazing act of grace. And it makes Naaman mad because he doesn't understand it. But he comes face to face with grace. He shows up ready to prove himself. And instead, he's told all you got to do is go to the little Jordan River and wash. And the thing is, you know, anybody can do that, right? Naaman, he's strong. He's powerful. Give me, a, give me someone to fight. Give me something to conquer. Give me something to go get. Give me something to, to achieve, to vanquish. I'm a warrior. I'm ready. Anybody can go wash in the water. And I mean, it's the Jordan River. It's not even all, you know, the waters in Damascus are way better than this. Attitude and arrogance, it's, you know, it's still there. It's, he's getting chipped away at, but it's still there. Anybody can wash in the Jordan River, and that's exactly right. Anybody. Go into the world and preach the gospel to all nations, every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. Pantata ethne is what that says, every ethnicity. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your country of origin. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing. The free grace of Jesus is available to you today, here, and now. And if you feel like you need to fight for it, you just don't understand it yet. God's grace is free. Naaman, put your sword away. Go take a bath. There's nothing that you can do. This is an incredible, an incredible grace. And it pushes, it pushes Naaman out of his comfort zone, out of his self-sufficiency, and out of his idolatry. And, and, and that's key. Naaman has something more lethal going on inside him than his leprosy, and it's his, it's his idea that he can save himself. It's the, it's, the lep, it's the leprosy of hubris. It's the self-sufficient attitude that he has. And this, you know, this gift of leprosy leads him to real life. He realizes, I cannot do this myself. I need help. And all he has to do is humbly admit it. You don't have to do anything with the sword or the chat. Just admit that you need help. And humbly, just like every other person, just like a slave girl, she could go wash in the Jordan. You can go wash in the Jordan. There's nothing for you to do. And so he does. He does. If you have everything that the world has to offer you, you have to ask yourself, is that all that you have? When this leprosy shows up, he realizes his money, his his power, his strength, his influence, nothing could save him. So he simply goes and he dips and this grace changes him. You know, there's a story in, in the Gospel of Luke. It's, it's interesting, if you, don't, if, you, if you read it, you know, twice, you realize like, hey, this is kind of weird. Why, why does this happen? In Luke 5, Jesus is teaching and he gets into a boat and there's Peter, Peter's there and, and, and Peter, P Jesus says, throw, throw your nets over the side of the boat and Peter, you know, Peter tries to tune Jesus up. He's like, hey, listen, you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. Okay, let's like not get our lanes split here. Okay. But all right, fine. I'll do it. I'll throw the nets in. And they haul in a net, of, a, a, a haul of fish so big that it almost breaks the net and it, it, the fish fill up both boats. And, and Peter doesn't offer Jesus a job. You know, he doesn't give him like a, he doesn't give him a company vehicle and a cell phone. He, he falls on his face. Luke 5 verse 8, Peter falls on his face in the midst of this beautiful miracle of grace. He falls on his face. He says, depart from me. I am a sinner. This kind of grace changes you. And this is really key. This is very important. It says in Romans 2 that the kindness of the Lord is what leads us to repentance. <clears throat> Naaman comes and he experiences this grace. You don't have to fight. You don't have to work. It's no merit. Just go wash in the water. And at first he's mad, but he goes and he does it. And then verse 15, 
says, Then he returned to the man of God with all of his camp, and he came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no other God in all the earth but in Israel, so now please take a blessing from your servant. Naaman had something more lethal than leprosy, and it was his pride. It was his self-sufficiency. It was his arrogance. It was the, I, can, I can do this. I don't need no one. On the way back from the water, something's changed because if what he was after was just a cure, he got it, and he could have left. And there's a story about that in Luke 11. You know, the, the, the lepers, 10 lepers show up, and Jesus heals them, and only one returns. They got what they were, they got what they were looking for. And, 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 and I, I, cannot, I cannot not do this. And I, and I don't think I can, I can't apologize for it. And I know that it, sometimes it makes people mad. And I'm not trying to upset people. I'm not trying to make them mad. Listen, the story's not, not finished yet. But when somebody comes to me and, they're, and, and they come broken and they come hurt and they want Jesus to fix some issue, my heart is that whatever it is that you're dealing with would, would be fixed. I really hope that that happens. But what I want even more is that you return like Naaman did. Naaman could have washed in the water and been like, hey, I look good, and split. Taken the money, taken his entourage, taken his letter, and gone back to where he came from. I got what I wanted. I'm healed. Done. And still had the problem of sin and unforgiveness and hubris and self-sufficiency and not been in relationship with the living God of the universe. He could have done that. And I love that he returns. He comes back. His not just does his leprosy get healed, his heart is regenerated. He comes to know, he says, I know now that there is no God in all of the earth but the God in Israel. Please take a blessing from your servant. He's still offering the money, not to get anything, but just to give, just to love. Look at how his heart has changed. He went from verse one, a mighty man of valor who's got a a slave girl living in his home to coming back and saying, please take a blessing from your servant. He's been humbled. That's a beautiful truth. That's a beautiful story. And so, so here's one side of the coin. Leprosy, trouble, being shaken up. There's a, there's a problem. You know, uh, I was reading an article about Tim Keller who, you know, I never met the man, but he has been one of the most influential voices in my entire life. I read an article about how he didn't set out to plant this giant church. It wasn't his intention. Very humble roots, very humble background. But one of the things that blew his church up was the, was the, the attacks in New York on 9-11 because people got shook and they flooded the church. Now, many of them may have flooded the church. Three months went by and they're like, hey, I feel good again and left. I, I don't know. Many people flooded the church and met the resurrected Christ there. I don't know. But when we get shook, we start looking around. And Naaman started looking around and realized that he had a greater problem than his leprosy. He had a heart issue. He needed to know the living God. And that is my prayer. When someone comes to me, I hope that, I hope that whatever it is that's bugging you, I hope, the Lord, I hope the Lord heals it. I hope he fixes it. I hope it gets worked out. But what I want more is that even if it doesn't, you like Naaman, your heart has changed. You meet the living Christ and you know that he's with you. He's with you in the pain. And look at what he can do to somebody. Look at this little girl. Gosh, this little girl is my hero. The word is, is, is a young maid. Verse, verse two, now the, the Arameans, it's scary people, had gone out on, 
out in marauding bands. That just sounds intimidating. And had taken captive a little girl. Imagine the suffocating fear. This little girl, no doubt, saw her friends killed, her, 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 her home destroyed, and now she's in the home of the very man who is responsible for it. Imagine the anger. Imagine the vengeance brewing in this little girl's heart. I mean, just juxtapose the two of them. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like this? Naaman is the powerful one. He's the one with influence. He is the arrogant, and she is the afflicted. He is the conqueror, and she is the captured. He is the soldier, and she is the slave. He is the very top of the social economic hierarchy, and she is below the bottom. He is the one with power, and she is completely powerless. She's young. She's a female. She's an orphan. She's basically property. She's living in a foreign land, and she is absolutely all alone. Her family is dead, and it's Naaman's fault, and she lives in his house. Just for a moment, put yourself in her shoes. And the language indicates she's probably between 10 and 13 years old. But she knew the Lord. Naaman had everything and he had nothing. And this little girl has nothing, and she has everything. You can have all the world. Give me Jesus. And her heart, look at what she does. You know, leprosy, good. Let that man die. All, you know, she doesn't have to fight Naaman, you know? There's many grown men who couldn't fight Naaman. This little girl doesn't have a fighting chance against him. All she's got to do is be quiet and watch him slowly decay to death. That's all she's got to do. And how satisfying that would have been. You know, whenever you got nothing, at least you've got revenge, right? At least you could, at least that. And she lets that go. She rejects that. Her language here is really profound and it catches you. Verse, verse three, she doesn't, she doesn't just say, you know, if Naaman wasn't such an idiot, he would go and get healed by the prophet Elisha. But he's too stupid to do that. Look at what she says. I wish that my master were before the prophet who is in Samaria. Look at what her heart has become. This little girl is my, the, my hero of the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus is my hero of the Old Testament. But this little girl is, what an example. What an example of Jesus. What a profound image of what he is like. What a profound image of his patience, of his love, of his grace, of his mercy pouring out of this little girl. And she's on the, uh, she's on the other side of the cross. Jesus hasn't come yet. But the Lord has done something in her heart that she takes all of that brutality, all of that horrific, terrifying stuff, and the very man who's responsible for it, she gives back love. I want to do that. <laughs> I want to be that. I want that. I want that Jesus heart. I want to be like this little girl. Our, our culture today is so fast to blame everybody else for our problems and put on a, a victim mentality. And, and there's, there's a very real element of that. I'm not casting that aside. People hurt people. That's real. And it's awful. And it's a part of the fall. It's a part of sin. But this little girl is an example of our Jesus who shows us that we don't have to give in to a lifetime of cynicism and hatred and vengeance and, and that, that seething rage that a situation like this causes us. This little girl takes all of that malevolence and hatred and war and bloodshed and pain and hurt and just, it stops with her. And she gives back love. Out into the world and out to Naaman himself. 
How? It's supernatural. She knew the Lord. He did something to her heart. Oh, I wish that this guy would go and get himself healed. I wish that he would. She had nothing. She could have let him die, but instead she prevents death and decay with her actions that are a product of her heart. She, she shows us here a, a beautiful reality of salt and light, and that's what Jesus says we are. She saves the man who destroyed her life. This is the kind of person that, that Jesus can make us because he's making people after his own heart. This is, this, is the, this, is what we can, this is what he does to us. This is the kind of person that he is. And he proved it. You know, Jesus absorbed all the hatred of the world. Jesus came to earth. And I've, and I've made this point before, but it just, it, it, it always blows my hair back and and. I just got to reflect on it again and again and again that Jesus came and he lived a human life for 33 years and was, like the people, even the people in his hometown, Luke 4, they tried to kill him and all of the Pharisees are talking bad about him and they, they want him dead and he's living with Judas for three years, you know? I mean, the guy, and Jesus knew who Judas was. John 6 tells us that Jesus says, I not, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil and day after day after day, Jesus loved him. It's a profound truth to me that in John 13, whenever they're sitting at the table before Jesus is let off, it's the, it's the upper room discourse. The last night when Jesus is with his disciples and he says one of you at this table is going to betray me and the 12 are looking around going is it me is it I hope not is it me I couldn't possibly be nobody points their finger and says I bet it's Judas which tells us two things one like okay Judas was a master manipulator hoorah so what what it really means is that in the three years the moments before when Jesus bent down and washed Judas's feet, the three years that Jesus knew what Judas was up to, knew what he was doing, he didn't treat him any differently than he treated the 11. Oh, that bugs me. <laughs> That's so convicting. He loved him. Jesus absorbed all of that. He who knew no sin became sin when we were unworthy, when we were enemies. We weren't even worthy of his time, let alone worthy of his life. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He took the punishment of sin so that we would never have to. He took all of the malevolence, all of the hatred, all of the sin, not just of those 33 years. He took all of the sin of, for all human history and gave back an invitation of love. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm leaving. I'm going to go prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be there also. Luke 12, 32, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, he says, it is the, it is the he says, fear not, little flock. I love that. Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The God of the, the universe, Yahweh, who's holding the sun up in outer space right now, what makes him happy? the idea of you being with him for all of eternity. And he took hell and hatred and death to make it possible. And we see it in this little girl. That's what he does. And, I, and I'm ashamed that I'm not this kind of guy. She was a slave girl. I'm a pastor. It's pathetic. And I still deal with all of my own nonsense and uh, vitriol and all the rest. Lord, help us to be like this little girl. Help us to be like your son, Jesus. So, this is one side of the coin, and, I, and I'll, I'll end with this. God is big enough. Jesus is powerful enough. 
He's wise enough, he's smart enough, he's good enough, he's kind enough to even take the nonsense of our lives and bring beauty out of ashes, to bring life out of death. He can do that. But sometimes, when we're in the midst of something like this, if we, if we suddenly find ourselves in a situation where we, we relate to the, the little slave girl, or if we find ourselves in a situation where we feel like we relate to Naaman, like suddenly things have gone completely wrong and we feel like our vulnerability is exposed and we're dying and we're scared and, and, and we're, we're really going through it and it's emotional and it's hard and we're crying and we're mourning. It's, that's how my week's been. How are you doing? Sometimes it's enough just to know that Jesus, not only is he big enough to work all of that into this beautiful choreography of life and beauty and bounty, but he also is big enough and father enough to just sit with you in it. And maybe that's all you need to hear this morning. Maybe all you need to be reminded of is that Jesus is with you. He's sitting with you. And there's this story, John chapter 11, um, Lazarus has died. And Jesus knows that he's going to raise him from the dead. If you don't know the story, go read it. John chapter 11. He knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead and, and he sees the he see, Lazarus' sisters are crying and there's people who are sad and, there's, there's, and his, his, his disciples are full of doubt and they're confused about what's going on and Jesus sees the results of death. He sees the results of sin and it says in John 11.35 that he wept. It's okay to weep. If you're here this morning and you're hurting, you're allowed to mourn. You're allowed to weep. Read the psalm. I think I've, I've said that a lot from here, yeah? Read the psalms. It's full of prayers of doubt and fear and crying and anguish and, and, and trepidation and trial. Jesus, Jesus wept. He's with you. He's crying with you. He hates what hurts you. And he went to the cross to one day destroy it completely. And even him in Matthew 26 in the, in the garden, he goes away with his, with his followers and, and he says to them in, John, in Matthew 26, 38, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. The savior of the world wanted his friends to just sit with him in the garden and pray and cry. God, that's, a God I can, that's a God I can worship. But then he's so powerful that one day, man, He's going to restore it all. And he did that by going to the cross to invite you into that life. May that be the truth of us. If you're here this morning and you're hurting, be comforted that Jesus is with you and it's okay to cry out. He hears you. you he loves you and you cannot exhaust him. Ask, seek, knock. Come to him again and again and again. And may, as this little girl reveals to us may our hearts be so transformed by the gospel that we can take whatever comes our way and give the world jesus you can have all this world give me jesus amen